Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome to today's podcast with our special guest, Adam Mutton, or more commonly known these days as the No Breakfast Guy. Adam is an accredited exercise physiologist and has been in the industry for almost 15 years and specializes in helping people get back to and beyond their pre-injury state and has worked with thousands of clients over the years to grow a successful business that is highly regarded in the local community and by other exercise physiologists. Adam has worked with clients that range from large companies like Amazon to Olympic athletes and 94-year-olds looking to stay mobile in their later years. Whether you're recovering from a hip replacement, looking to find ways to exercise and move beyond your chronic pain, or wish to reverse your type 2 diabetes and lose weight, then Adam and his business are there to help their clients live their best life and achieve their goals. Adam has also written an Amazon best-selling book about fasting called Start Late, Stay Light, and now runs an Instagram page called The No Breakfast Guy. On today's podcast, Adam is answering all your questions around exercise. We've done two episodes together, so if your question isn't answered in this one, be sure to come back next week and see if we answer it there. Today, we will be discussing the most important exercises to get lean, whether Pilates and boxing is enough for gaining muscle, the difference between a physio, exercise physiologist, an osteo, and a chiro, whether you should do cardio or weights first, whether you should exercise if you're unwell, the best training tips for a half marathon, how to avoid flaring up a hip flexor injury, and tips and techniques to avoid injury. So let's get straight into today's Q&A podcast with our exercise expert, Adam. Welcome, Adam, to the podcast. We're very excited to have you on today doing a special edition for us. Being an expert um, exercise physiologist, you're going to be answering some of our listener questions all around exercise. So welcome to the podcast. We're stoked to have you on board. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, Adam, could you start by giving our listeners at home, obviously, I've already done your introduction, so we know a little bit about you, but can you tell us a little bit about your journey um, into becoming an exercise physiologist and what led you down this um, pathway as a career? Absolutely. Um, I'm not going to say I was going to be the next best uh, tennis player coming out of Australia, but I was a very high-level youth um, tennis player. Mm -hmm. And at a very early age, um, probably around the age of 16, 17, I had a a pretty nasty injury to my shoulder. uh, And it was kind of like, well, do we have surgery or do we go down a more conservative route? And um, we kind of had the decision, let's go to conservative. I don't want to start having surgery on my shoulders or my body at kind of age 16, 17. And um, I kind of met a strength and conditioning coach Plus, who was kind of, I mean, exercise physiology is pretty a pretty new um, profession, really. And so it was kind of, I was seeing an exercise physiologist, but it wasn't kind of like we are today. But um, I got introduced to the world of exercise physiologists through that. And um, my career never really took off beyond um, that injury. It kind of put a big halt to it all there. Um, and so I kind of stayed in contact with that particular um, physiologist and he gave me kind of... I guess the route he took to kind of where he was and then I had these dreams of I was going to be working with elite athletes my entire life and it was going to be the AIS and I would be traveling the world on a tennis tour and kind of being an exercise <laughs> physiologist uh, in that route but um, that never eventuated it's not where I'd want to be anyway kind of knowing the industry the way I do now but um, 
it kind of took me down that pathway. And so um, did the undergraduate um, and ex-phys and then went into a master's degree. And so here we are now 15 years later, having run my exercise physiology clinic here in Melbourne for close to 15 years. And um, yeah, as I said, I I mainly on a day-to-day basis deal with people with coming back from kind of either acute or chronic-based rehab. So if you've ever had a car accident or a hip replacement or just general, you know, day-to-day stuff that a lot of people suffer from, whether it be a sprained ankle from sport on the weekend or a lower back injury. Um, I deal with kind of everyone from the age of 11 up to I have a 97-year-old client at the moment. Um, so pretty much anyone and everyone in between um, we deal with as exercise physiology and it's what I've been doing and I love and wouldn't be uh, changing it for the world. Awesome. And can you tell our listeners at home what a typical day in your shoes might look like between your social medias and your podcast and um, being an exercise physiologist and anything else that you might do? Um, If you'd come to me and ask that question probably five or six years ago, um, it would be vastly different to what it is now. Um, I had Mm -hmm. a big life-changing moment about three years ago when we're at the birth of our um, first daughter uh, and I had a realisation that life was killing me and uh, any business owner can probably relate that you put too too many hours into it and we all passionate about what we do and we want to give our best to our clients and I was certainly doing that but my health and my own well-being was taking a very big backseat and at the time I was writing a book I had my first daughter and I nearly killed myself for it and so I had to take a big um, change from life and so as I said that's a past person and I don't want to kind of really explain what I was doing then because it was a very unhealthy lifestyle, the amount of hours I was working, but kind of I have a much more balanced life these days. Uh, So I try and get, and I'm a morning person, so that helps being in this industry, but uh, I'm probably up at 4.30 most mornings um, and take the dog for a walk and then head straight into the office. I'm at the clinic by 5.30, first client at 6 o'clock, and then I'm just booked back to back from 6 a.m. to about 2 o'clock most days. Um, seeing as I said, a whole variety of clients um, from be them returning war vets. I see a lot of uh, Vietnam vets and now Afghanistan, Afghanistan vets and Iraqi vets as well. A lot of mm-hmm. you know post-traumatic um, stress with those guys and trying to get them back into a healthier way of living. Um, but also my mainstay and kind of, I guess, who I've become known for in amongst my community here of um, you know surgeons and physios and people who re- refer to me, if it's musculoskeletal, that's kind of what um, people are coming to me. So knee replacements and hip re- uh, reconstructions and replacements have kind of become the thing that people get referred to uh, me for and more uh, recent times, uh, more metabolic um, syndrome type stuff. So type 2 diabetes, hypertension, obesity and things like that because of the book that I wrote a couple of years ago has kind of put me into the world of um, fat loss and metabolic disease as well. So that's kind of, yeah, what I would see. And then at 2 o'clock, I switch off from everything to do with the clinic um, and then begins my other world, which is, as I said, I wrote this book on fasting and I became, in quote, the no breakfast guy. Um, Not overnight, but it was a kind of kind of thrust into that world. I I wrote that book purely for my sister who had dealt with obesity for her whole life. Um, And anyone listening to this podcast, this is a shameless um, promotion for it. I'm happy to give this book away free to every single one of you. Um, I do that. It was sold on Amazon. It became an Amazon bestseller and I was not in this game to kind of make money from that book. And so I now give it away from free. So anyone listening to this, you just email me and I'm sure the details will be there somewhere. I'm more than happy to give a free copy of this book away to everyone. But I did that purely for my sister by chance, as I said, it did very well. Um, and as I said, I now I'm kind of the no breakfast guy. So then my afternoons are kind of spent answering DMs and creating content for the no breakfast guy stuff and kind of around fasting and fitness and fat loss and things like that. So that kind of finishes me up at about four or five o'clock in the afternoon. And then I switch everything off to spend all my time with my girls. Um, I have two daughters and my, my beautiful wife. And so from six o'clock until about 
um, nothing gets turned on and I'm completely off grid from that time. And then 9.30 begins and I'm probably another hour or two kind of still doing some work, um, you know, following up emails with clients and DMs and things all, all, all around that kind of stuff that all business owners can certainly relate to and then switch off by 10, 10.30 and then sleep and wake up the next day and do it all again. Love it. Love that you've got those section times where you just completely switch off because I'm, I'm someone who's really trying to try hard and focus on those areas and not trying to do a hundred things at once or, you know, trying to be relaxing on the couch, but I'm replying to a hundred messages and comments <laughs> on Instagram. I'm the worst for that. And that was my goal at the very beginning of the year was if I'm relaxing, I'm a hundred percent relaxing and I'm doing what I want to do, not being half distracted. So it's awesome that you've got that work-life family balance um, sorted out these days. It's great to hear. It took me far too long to get there. And as I said, um, <laughs> I went through a pretty dark patch um, a few years ago um, and I was not very well, uh, both mentally and physically, but um, I'm glad I took the the big life change to take a complete year off and uh, disappeared completely off the grid for a year. And um, it was the best thing I ever did and kind of really got to focus on what really means to me um, or what matters to me in life. And um, yeah, it's been the best thing I could have ever done. Mm, I love that. And you'll see the same themes if you um, ever listen to our podcast and for our listeners at home, all the experts that we get on are experts in nutrition or exercise or, you know, in the medical field or something like that. But we all talk about health as this holistic approach where even if you could have the best art in the world, you could be exercising seven days a week if you're not taking care of your health mentally and physically you're really going to pay for it um, later on so it really is that holistic approach to health that you know us all as health professionals really do advocate for which is awesome that um, you're exactly the same as well Mm. Yeah, I was certainly faking it until I make. I mean, I'm certainly not in the best shape, um, you know, the best fitness kind of shape that you know kind of see on Instagram these days. But um, I take care of myself, and um, anyone kind of looking in a few years ago would have seen just you know a fit kind of guy. But on the inside, I was you know I was melting away kind of thing. And so, um, yeah, to your point that you know it, taking care of yourself and making sure you got that quality time to just step away from everything, be that you know. Instagram, social media, or if that's work life um, in in all facets, I think is uh, very important. You make a good point. Mm, Health is more than just a six pack, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All righty. Well, we're going to launch straight in now that we've established that you're an expert in this area around exercise. Um, I've got some listener questions that I'm hoping that you would um, happily um, answer for us today. Absolutely. Yeah, far away. And we had a ton come through. So we're actually going to do this podcast in two sessions today, guys. So I've got seven questions from my listeners today. The first one being from Beth. Beth wants to know what what is the most important exercise to do if I want to get lean, which I'm sure is a common question you and I both get all of the time. Um, I always kind of love the the saying the best program or the best exercise regime is the one that you're actually going to do. Now, there is going mm-hmm. to be a, obviously an in quote perfect way to kind of go about it, but I could sit there and say to Judy who comes to my clinic who's never stepped foot in a gym before and she's you know extremely intimidated by it and sit there and say, Judy, you need to come to the gym four days a week and you're going to be doing this um, this, that, and the other. And she, in a couple of weeks time is probably not going to be coming and doing anything at all. So I'd rather try to talk to her and see what best suits her. Um, and that, you know, very client focused around that. And so whether it's just getting out and walking more, whether that's with a dog or on your own and listening to a podcast or, you know, learning something while you're out there or going to a, a Zumba class or whether it's dancing or playing tennis or whatever it might be. Um, but I, I do always say put a caveat that just start getting um, moving, start doing some form of movement that's um, intended exercise. Um, I think, you know, the whole world around NEAT and kind of doing unintentional exercises, walking to work or taking the stairs and all those things are great, but there needs to be some sort of intended exercise um, 
I think it should be every day personally, um, you know, whether that's 20 minutes or whether that's five minutes or an hour, I don't care, but make some sort of intention to do something each day. And you'll find that as you become more familiar with exercise and kind of get more confidence around it, then in future that that gym might not be so intimidating to go to down the line. And so why I kind of say that is that I think strength training should absolutely be a, a a fundamental part of people's um, programming and strength training again doesn't have to start in the gym it doesn't have to be hip thrusts so, you know a back squat and a bench press and pull-ups it can be as simple as looking at your tv regimen if you're watching tv overnight on the ads doing some sitting up and standing um, you know standing up and sitting down standing up and sitting down for 10 reps and just starting there and then next week it might be 15 and kind of progressing from there but some form of resistance training be that body weight or weighted should absolutely be a fundamental of anyone's kind of program moving forward. Mm. And can you talk to us about the benefits? Um, even like I'm sure a lot of our listeners know in terms of building muscle mass is extremely important for losing weight and supporting your metabolism, but even just from a general health perspective in terms of supporting healthy bones and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, the research is vast and kind of pretty much consistent in that healthy bones, healthy muscle mass and kind of going down the route of kind of physical and mental health, um, feeling strong and confident in your body is absolutely paramount to kind of having all of those benefits to everything you just spoke on and more um, and then combining that obviously with what you would talk much more about and obviously the nutrition side of thing at making sure you're getting adequate protein in your day and supporting that exercise that you are doing and then supporting that with you know, a good well-rounded and balanced um, you know variety of foods it's going to really kind of support that um, because I, I use the analogy of the kind of starting the fire and having the fire going like you can have the best program written everything's going but if you haven't got that spark to light it being the food to help support that kind of fire that you're going or the other way around you've got the best diet going around and you're not doing any exercise to help support it both of them need to really go hand in hand to kind of get the best out of it um, kind of moving forward. Mm. And just going back to Beth's question, the most important exercise to do if I want to get lean, I think it's probably important to clarify a lot of women, I, I guess when they say get lean, do they mean lose weight or do they, they mean get lean in terms of achieving a body composition goal where you can visibly see, you know, a six pack and some biceps and that sort of thing? Because I think they're two very different things and exercise in general is is really important for, you know, multitude of health benefits, sleep stress that sort of thing but just wanting to lose weight you can do any sort of exercise but getting lean and achieving a body composition goal that's more towards specific exercises isn't it in terms of weight training and specific programming um absolutely and i will answer that question but one thing that really irks me and i really want to get people to understand there's no or i can't say no such but i'll kind of clarify what i mean by it but there's no such word as toned please mm. please please can people stop using the word toned Toned is a spasticity type muscle. So someone with cerebral palsy has spasticity in their muscle. They have tone in their muscle. It's always activated. That's tone or tonicity, however we know it. So we need to stop using the word toned. It's not the word we're looking for. When you use that, what most people are saying is they want a more lean kind of physique. Is that what they're normally going? And that's normally a combination of a reduction in you know body um, body fat and an increase um, of lean muscle mass. And so if you're looking to get lean, if you're trying to increase your lean muscle mass and get stronger, you have to move your body against resistance, whether, as I said, you start off as just basic body weight and then progress to some sort of weighted um, version of that. You may have heard the term kind of going around progressive overload. That is where we have to kind of keep our focus. And I, I don't want people to kind of go down to training 
around a, an idea of changing body composition and um, kind of going down that route, you should be trained to kind of help progress your body and kind of aiming for progressive overload. So if you're stepping into the gym or you're doing this from home, start tracking your exercise. And so, as I said, it could be Judy who's never gotten off the couch in her life and she's sitting at home right now. You might do three squats standing up and sitting down out of your chair, and that's all you can do. You're ex- completely exhausted and you sit down. Track that, write down three, and then next time you do it, you could get four, and then you get five, and then you move from there. And whether you're at home or in the gym, you need to kind of understand what you're doing and how to then kind of make some sort of line in the sand of where are you aiming for? Like are you trying – how are you – kind of measuring your progress and how you kind of moving forward rather than just going to the gym or doing some class and kind of not really having any ideas like you walk away you're puffed you got sweaty or whatever it might be great but what did you achieve and is that better than what you did last time or last week or last month and so really trying to make sure that you are progressively overloading that body and moving forward and then that's where you will obviously help with that lean muscle mass um, creation or maintenance depending on obviously where you are uh, with the food side of things and obviously then getting in adequate protein to help with muscle protein synthesis and really kind of getting that machine going um, and most of the research kind of going around will show that 1.5 grams per kilogram is a good starting point for most people if you're very overweight or uh, or in the kind of obese scale um, you should probably take more of a sense of what's your goal weight and then take that as a 1.5 grams per kilogram. Um, but if you're heavily trained and already quite athletic and quite lean, you can be pushing 2 to 2.5 grams per kilogram, but that's on the upper end scale. Most people that I come across would be far better off just benefiting from around that 1.5 grams per kilogram and combining that with a progressive overload type program. And that'll certainly get your lean um, physique that you're looking for, not toned. Definitely. But it is a combination of that nutrition and training as well. A lot of people think if they're just smashing in CrossFit six days a week, then they're going to get a six pack, but it's simply not the case. That old saying that you can't out exercise a bad diet is, um, is simply true, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Wonderful. Now, next uh, question from Sasha um, probably leads nicely on from Beth's question. Um, Sasha wants to know, my goal is to lose weight and gain muscle, like every female author. Um, is Pilates <laughs> and boxing enough or do I need a gym membership? Um, it's a really good question. And um, again, to kind of what I was saying before is that the best program is the one that you're going to actually do. Mm-hmm. And if you love your Pilates, if you love your boxing, absolutely keep doing it. I'm not saying they're not um, you know, effective and they're not going to help you build a a strong body and a a fit body and a healthy body and kind of get those goals that you're after as long as they are kind of accompanied by, you know, your nutrition, obviously nutrition plays a really um, positive role in that as well. Um, But absolutely, I think people need to start moving towards and kind of stop fearing um, the gym as a, you know, a male only place or a place where that, you know, you're going to get bulky if you do weights and things like this. I think it's a very positive environment um, and a place where a lot of females especially um, can get a lot of benefits from. And so, as I was saying before, if you're Judy and have never stepped foot in a gym and you're sitting on the couch there and you're wondering, you know, how do I even start this journey? Start by just, you know, standing up and sitting down in front of the TV and progress from there. And as you start to feel better, as you start to feel stronger and you get more confidence in your ability to do multiple exercises and moving forward from there, then maybe start flirting with the idea of, you know, moving into a gym-based or resistance-based type um, session. But whether that's classed and kind of, you know, you're going to an F45 or CrossFit or, you know, whether it's just whether your local gym has, you know, Les Mills body pump or Zumbas or whatever it might be, do something that you feel familiar with or kind of feel confident with um, and just kind of put yourself a bit out of your comfort zone and try something new that um, is going, as I said, going to put your body into that 
you know, progressive overload really kind of start putting you under some sort of pressure to move forward and progress forward um, from there. And I think it can complement, as I said, um, uh, you know, a good chocolate cake is made by multiple ingredients, not just the the one kind of thing. You can't make a chocolate cake by just flowers and eggs. You need the sugars, you need the cocoa. You know? So all of these different things, I think um, they all make up a quality program with regards to, um, I guess, your health and well-being as a total. Mm. But you'd say that if they'd been doing Pilates and boxing for quite a while and they'd sort of reached that pinnacle of, you know, they were pretty fit, they were pretty healthy, and now their next goal is really to put on some lean muscle, they really need to be lifting some weights within a gym setting, don't they? It could be a home gym, it could be their own gym, it doesn't matter what type of gym, but they need to be getting in there and doing some of those big compound lifts, the squats, the deadlifts, that sort of thing, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, if you feel, you know, a bit intimidated by that and kind of, you know, where do I even start? I don't even know technique. Like, what do I do? Um, You know, either... I mean, you can start as simple as kind of just going to YouTube and typing in, you know, deadlift technique. I mean, that would be the bare minimum, I'd say, you know, starting to learn just like anything. If you want to be, you know, a bit more learned in a skill, you need to go and learn something about it. And if that's starting from Dr. Google or Google or YouTube or whatever it might be, then so be it. But certainly go and employ yourself, um, someone that is a specialist in this, head down to your local gym and interview them. Like I, I really kind of hate when people have bad experiences from PTs or exercise physiologists that stayed with for months and go, oh, I saw him for months and I got nothing out of it. I was like, yeah, yeah. why would you see him for months? Like, yeah. if you're not getting any benefits, like, leave him. And like, I, I, it really kind of irks me that people will sit there and kind of stay with someone because they've invested three, four, five sessions with them. No, get rid of them as soon as they're um, not kind of serving your needs or what you're after. So, um, I absolutely am very upfront in my first um, consultations with people that I have a certain way of doing what I do. And that's not going to suit everybody. And I'm not here to kind of try and sell you to kind of make sure you come on and buy my 10 pack of sessions. If someone is forcing you to go down that route, walk away, find someone else. And kind of most people will probably give you a free session up front when you're heading into a gym. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'd like to learn some basic lifting techniques. I'd like to learn the deadlift or the squat or whatever it might be. Can you help me with these? And then move forward from there. And if someone's happy to kind of do that, then great. You're on a great starting foot um, from there and then start moving forward. And just kind of, as I said, trial anyone that you can. And whether that's male or female, um, I tend to find that a lot of females come to see me. A lot of males don't want to see me because I don't have the body of a kind of fitness person. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm not that kind of person. That's not who I'm trying to train. So find someone that suits your kind of needs, that suits your kind of goals. And, um, you know, someone that you can get along with as well. You are going to probably spend some time with this person. So uh, make sure there's someone that you enjoy spending some time with that you find is valuable to your journey. Mm-hmm. But also six pack doesn't equal qualifications either, which is very important, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> uh, just because yeah. they look good doesn't actually mean they know what they're talking about. They could just be genetically blessed and trained a heck of a lot. So really make sure you do your research in terms of their qualifications. Look at some other clients that they've trained, ask around at the gym. And as Adam said, walk away if you don't feel comfortable, if you don't feel like they're helping you to achieve exactly what you set out to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer. So next question is from William. What is the difference? And this is something I would love to ask you as well. (laughs) What is the difference between a physio and exercise physiologist, an osteo and a chiro? Which one is better to see when injured? Um, a question I get probably asked 10 times a day myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> if we kind of look at uh, 
the more manual therapy type, um, I guess, allied health out there. So what you said, the osteos, the physios, the chiros, they will use hands-on therapy to help with um, be it your acute injury or your injury um, in general. Um, So they'll use ultrasound, they'll use dry needling, they'll use massage techniques, trigger point, whatever that might be that you might have been seeing um, your physios, osteos, chiros for. Adjustments, obviously, um, are more prevalent with osteos and chiros. As an exercise physiologist, we're not hands-on in any way, shape, or form. If a physiologist is putting their hands on you to do some sort of manipulation or needling, I'd ask for their qualifications to see that they've got the and to do that, but most physiologists will not have extra qualifications. Walk away from them, and I've heard this many times. Like, oh, I went to this physiologist, and he did dry needling on me, and I just – I freak out when I hear that. So, yeah, as a physiologist, we do no hands-on therapy. Our therapy is through exercise. So, um, And I think we all, all allied health, um, but unfortunately it's becoming very blurred these days because physios and chiros and osteos and many EPs are very territorial about their clients and kind of what's going on and they won't refer out and won't kind of, you know, share, um, you know, the client's best needs, obviously, going forward. Um, but, yeah, mm. I think that they all form part of um, the whole rounding of your injury. Now, if you're coming back from just a sprained ankle, you might not necessarily need to see any kind of manual-type therapy um, people. You might be benefited just going straight to an exercise physiologist. But if you're coming back from a major injury, be that an ACL replacement or re- knee reconstruction, hip replacements, and on these kind of bigger kind of case-type surgeries and injuries and things like that, you will definitely be seeing you know, a physio in the acute phase, be that in hospital or as an outpatient, um, and then forming kind of a good relationship with a physio that has a relationship when, with an exercise physiologist. I have some great referral networks within my um, kind of business, uh, and we refer backwards and forwards all the time. And they can go hand in hand in kind of getting that manual therapy and moving on from that really acute phase and into kind of the more I guess, post-acute phase where you would then probably be seeing an exercise physiologist more so um, to start getting those exercises and those movement patterns to help you getting back beyond your injury, kind of whatever that may be. And again, I I always use my chocolate cake analogy. It just kind of forms that perfect chocolate cake for you that you should be seeing a multitude of them and kind of um, they should be working in tandem. Not, I see my physio and my physio has never spoken to my physio, um, physiologist. My physio has never spoken to my doctor and my doctor's never spoken to my physio. They should all be, if it is working well, um, be talking to one another and making sure that your needs and what you're kind of aiming for and your goals are being spoken about in the same um, sense rather than you're getting one thing told to you by your physio and then you go to the physiologist and they're talking completely different language and completely different things. And I've even heard you know, you know other people sitting there saying, oh, no, what they said is completely wrong. You shouldn't be listening to them. Just listen to what I do. And then they go back to the physio. Oh, but this guy told me that I shouldn't be doing what And so if you're butting heads, you're just not going anywhere. Mm, couldn't agree more. And I love that, um, you know, the field of allied health, ideally we want to be working within that multidisciplinary model where we're all supporting the client to reach their goals, um, which is wonderful. Yeah. All right. So next question is from Pete. So Pete wants to know cardio first, then weights or weights before cardio? What's your goal, Peter? Um, is what I would just always reply to that one. Um, if you come to me and you say, um, I'm a, I'm a big runner now. I love my running. Um, and so I get a lot of people coming to me, hey, Adam, can you help me run a marathon or whatever it might be? A, a lot of their programming is going to be around, well, cardio-based. They're going to have to be running. You can't run a marathon without doing the, the time on your part. legs and putting them on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it's great. I can do, design you the best gym-based program, but if you haven't put any time on your legs, you're not going to turn up and be a good runner on the day. So if your goal was to kind of be more orientated around that 
that side of the equation, then absolutely. I'd be putting the thing that you want to get the most benefit out of first mm-hmm. and then um, following that up with the, obviously the second part of that. So again, if you're coming to me as a physique competitor or you're looking to recover from a, um, an injury, we're probably going to be more down the road of let's get you strong, let's get movement patterns going, let's get some retraining going and how your gait's moving or your hips are moving, the mobility and all those kind of things. We'll definitely be putting an emphasis on working on the exercise portion before we kind of even look at the um, cardio. But again, it goes hand in hand. Um, I don't think you should be doing one or the other or one is necessarily better than the other. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm always going to lean towards, and even as a runner, I probably do close to 50, 60 kilometers a week um, these days. And I still are in the gym probably two to three times a week. Um, And many runners don't do enough um, gym-based work. Uh, I've started probably working a lot more with triathletes um, in the recent years. And they're all notorious overtrainers in their discipline. So they run a lot, they swim a lot, and they bike a lot, and they do no gym work whatsoever. One, because they don't have a lot of time for it because they're already doing huge amounts mm. of training. But the huge benefits I've seen from very cardio-focused athletes putting some focus back inside the gym and getting strong has seen huge benefits for them when they've actually reduced their load in their cardio-based stuff and actually really increased their load in strength. So again, hand in hand, but predominantly kind of really kind of just give a short answer what's your focus focus more on that before the other part because mm, I've always previously I guess had that belief myself that if your goal is to get stronger you know as most people are lean tone drop some body fat um, I always or I've been told by my exercise physiologist in the past get in do your weights exert yourself under load first and then finish up with your cardio later or do a bit of cardio on your rest days would you sort of agree with that as well absolutely yeah it's it's yeah it's very neurally taxing on the body to be you know under load uh, and so mm-hmm. the recovery period is going to be far greater on that. So yeah, if, if that's kind of where your focus is in kind of body composition and kind of putting on lean muscle, absolutely get into the gym first and do all of your work there. Um, and then leave the cardio stuff to another day, as you said, as a rest period, whether it's just a, a light jog or you go for a bike ride or a swim or whatever that might be, uh, follow mm-hmm. that up um, second. Yeah, absolutely. All righty. Um, now question number five from D, if I'm sick in brackets, cold or flu, can I still exercise and should I? Well, I think you probably, anybody could exercise, but I think the really important question is, should you exercise if you're sick with the cold or flu? Um, I always use um, the, to answer this is, is it above the head or below the head or uh, above the neck or below the neck? If you've got a, a more head-based cold, it's in the sinuses, you'd be the head achy, maybe, you know, it's, and that's about all it really is. You haven't got anything in your chest. You're not coughing. It's not wet or mucusy through there. There's no sweats and fevers and viral kind of um, symptoms coming through your body, then I think exercise can be a very beneficial thing to kind of really help keep you up, keep you going, keep you positive and keep you moving forward. And you might even kind of clear some of that stuff out of your sinuses. But if mm-hmm. it's below the neck, um, I'd, I'd be taking the rest period. So if you've got any respiratory type issues, um, coughing up any mucus or you're kind of wheezing at all or sweats, sore muscles, achy, things like that, take the time off because you probably could still train but the risk is that it then puts you out for a week or two weeks when you could have just mm-hmm. taken three days off, really recovered well, and you'd be back to training in four or five days rather than have pushed it and then you're out for three weeks because you've just knocked your immune system completely out and you're out out on your feet and uh, it really progresses to something much more nasty. Mm, great. Such a practical tip. Above the neck or below the neck. Love it. Um, question number six from Rose. Best training tips for a half marathon plus how to avoid flaring up a hip flexor injury? Um just go straight to the hip flexor one. So many runners have hip flexor issues. It usually comes from 
tight ITB bands because your glutes are not firing. So get into the gym and start doing some glute-orientated exercises, hip thrusts, lunges, step-ups, squats, deadlifts, all the different kinds of deadlifts, Romanian deadlifts, sumo deadlifts, all of them. Get those glutes firing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have a gym membership, some simple just glute raises at home, some clamshells, some you know side crab walks under resistance, anything that's going to fire your glutes up. I say this as a general term, but so many of us these days sit in our jobs all day and our glutes just never mm. get fired. Like we we lie in bed and, and asleep, we get up, we get into a car or sit on public transport, we then get to work, we sit all day, we get in a car, we go home, we sit in front of the t- we sit, 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 and our glutes are just becoming non-existent. Um, and so we need to get them talking. And so too many people focus, I've got this hip flexor issue. It's more often than not, I've found anyway, in clinical kind of settings, that people's glutes aren't firing. If you start getting those glutes to talk more, hip flexors just seem to clear up. Now, of course, you could then start doing some foam rolling, putting some spiky balls into your hip flexors, into your ITB, which is that side kind of tendon muscle running down the side of the leg. If anyone who's been a runner has rolled on them, they're the ones that, you know, they're the people in the gym who are screaming. They've got that horrible look on their face of just absolute (laughs) agony. Um, It's that ITB that they're kind of rolling out. But rolling out that hip flexor, rolling out um, ITB, rolling out your glutes, but also, as I said, getting them to fire will solve 90% of people's hip flexor issues in a running sense, but also just in a, if you're tight in your hip flexors from sitting all day and running's not your goal, but you'll still probably have those tight hip flexors, Mm. get your um, glutes talking and they'll certainly help that out. Um, But coming from a sense of um, running, as I said, it's my absolute passion these days. I love running. Um, And Running is, I think, is one of the most purest forms of exercise in that just consistency is always rewarded in that not always, if you don't have a really good quality program written for the gym, you might not always progress. And there's a whole heap of other things around fitness that doesn't always reward your consistency, whereas running, time on your legs is the greatest um, kind of thing that you can possibly do for your running. If you look at most of the best marathon runners in the world, they're actually in their 30s. Mm. They've put time on their legs. They're built from a 5K um, you know, specialist into a 10K specialist. They then moved into a, a half marathon into a marathon. And most of them are in their 30s because they've just had that time on their legs, time to build that engine that kind of can just churn out those kilometers week after week after week. And when I sit there and say to people that you know I've run 60 plus half marathons, multiple marathons, and I haven't basically had an injury in my life, they go, well, how, do, how do you do that? Like, I've put, you know, almost close to 25 years of running into my legs. I'm not saying go out and run 60Ks a week now, mm-hmm. but build it. It might be as simple as just putting two minutes a day onto your leg and then you build that to – like if you've never run before, um, I know there's some great apps out there like Couch to 5K and these kind of things that help people progress, um, but you don't need them. Just get out there, get on your feet, just start moving, start going. And I'd also recommend hiring a running coach. I think too many of us just sit, think that, oh, well, running, it's just faster walking. No, there's some <laughs> technique stuff. I get that all the time. <laughs> um, there's some really good technique stuff that you can pick up from a running coach. And again, I'm a veteran of 25 plus years of running. I have a running coach myself mm-hmm. and he's always picking up on little things I can tweak to make my running more efficient, make my body under less strain. So it's not obviously um, being pounded away on the pavement all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but get out there, just start putting time on your feet. But specifically for a half marathon, it's one of those events. It's my favorite event. It's one of those events that you, I don't want to sound too blase about this, but you can kind of almost sprint a half marathon and kind of run it with not too much input. 
you just need that consistency over time. Whereas a marathon, you really have to have a dedicated program to turn up on race race day to kind of run that to a degree where you're going to finish it and actually enjoy the day. Mm. I see too many people going into a marathon who have done very underprepared and just it's the worst day of their life. Yep. I want people to enjoy their their running days and the race day should be a celebration of all the training you've done. Mm. I, I want to see a smile on people's faces as they cross the finish line, not, not this, this was the worst day of my life crying as a kind of <laughs> finishing or just hobbling across the finish line. So just put time on your legs. So um, build up slowly, really small, and then just progressive, 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 beat over weeks, months, and years. And um, I think anyone, no matter where you're starting from, can run a marathon and I think should run a marathon. I think it's one of the greatest things that we can – events that you can do. And crossing that finish line, I, I certainly have not come to anything that's kind of apart from the birth of my child, has not really come close to just the elation of just pure joy. And you see it on people's faces as they're coming through the finish line. And I, I would say go down to an event and kind of go to the finish line and watch these people come across the finish line. It is the most inspiring event that you can have. And um, I think everyone should just at some point in their life try to aspire to doing one. And anyone can. You just have to put some time on your legs. Mm, great. Love it. And then I just had a quick question because I'm really not a runner, but one of my goals this year was just get out there and just keep kicking off a couple of 5Ks consistently because even I find 5Ks, I get to the end, I'm like, oh, I'm done. Like that was so hard. And so I can do Like I've done 10, but 10's about the max I've done. So I've always had a goal to do a half marathon at least once in my life, potentially even a marathon. Um, but in terms of time frames, I think a lot of people just say, oh, I'm going to do this marathon, and then they just don't train, and it gets to like a couple of months out. They're like, crap, I really need to start training. And they've set this intention like they're going to do this particular marathon or half marathon. How long should they actually be training for and and um, conditioning themselves to that? And when should they know when to delay that? Because I find a lot of people are like, I'm going to run, as an example, like the Boston Marathon, and it's like they're a couple of months out and they really haven't done anything they're like, well, I said I'm going to do it. I paid the registration. I'm going to do it <laughs> rather than, again, making it the worst day of their life or delaying that to another one and actually putting in, as you said, the miles on their legs and, and getting themselves to a good condition. So for a half marathon, would you need six months of training or should it be a full year? Um, I don't want to kind of say this and then someone just goes out and does it and hurts himself, but pretty much from <laughs> an absolute beginner who's never run in their life before, I think a half pro, and I've written these programs before, a half marathon program, you can probably get done and enjoy the day um, from 12 to 16 weeks yeah, wow. if you've been consistent on that training mm -hmm. through that. Um, now, obviously, you'll, you'll start progressing and peaking up to a pretty heavy week kind of by week 9, 10, 11, 12, and then we'd start tapering that out into your race kind of day. Mm -hmm. um, but it's amazing, and people underestimate how quickly our bodies can adapt. And when you are you know, specific to a goal and actually uh, implementing that and being consistent to that program, uh, you can very quickly see some results. That, and that's why I love running because it rewards that consistency. If you're putting in, I think for a half marathon, for a 16-week program, if you're putting in at least three sessions a week, there would be one long run in there. There would be some kind of interval type you know, shorter distance to help with your speed and your lactate and these kind of different areas that you're going to go through in a race. Um, and then some sort of tempo run, which is kind of your runs where we try and match the race pace day that you're going to do. So if you said, I want to run a two hour half marathon, mm -hmm. cool. What's that time per kilometer? They're the kind of tempo run. So if you're doing that really short, fast stuff, a bit of a tempo run and a long run, and you are nailing that week after week after week, it'll feel horrible week one, <laughs> week two, week three, but around normally week four and week five, if people can stick with it, 
there's just this switch that not only mentally happens but physically happens. I've seen it time and time and time again that all of a sudden I just get a text message or an email or whatever it might be, Adam, that was the best run I've, I've, I've ever had. It was, it was further distance than the one last week, but it felt 10 times easier. So just stick out with it and be consistent. And, yeah, 16 weeks, I would say, three times a week with those runs. Anyone can be running a half marathon in 16 weeks, so we'll call that four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would always say please run at least three half marathons before running your marathon. Mm-hmm. So if you've then built that three half marathons and probably no more than two half marathons in your first year if you're kind of coming from a complete beginner. Um, but if you've done those three and you're now being consistent for a good year, year and a half, maybe two years, that marathon program, again, probably 16 weeks is enough with that background preparation um, to kind of build someone into a full marathon and enjoy that day and do a reasonable time. You know, I think if you're trying to go underneath five hours on a marathon um, for a first time, I think that's a great goal to have. Um, and you'll you'll be able to enjoy that kind of four hours and 45 minutes worth of running rather than it being the worst day of your life. And I've been there. My first marathon was the worst day of my <laughs> life. I underprepared, um, and I cried basically the last 10, 10 kilometers of it, and I vowed never to do this again, but I was back and I did it again, and I've enjoyed them since. But, yeah, so um, absolutely anyone can do it, but you just have to put that time in and be consistent with it. Mm, like anything in life, hey? Yep, absolutely. Wonderful. Now, last question from Chelsea. I would love some tips on improving t- technique and avoiding injury, especially around with female hormones and that time of the month? Um, this is an area I'm going to certainly say I'm not very well versed on. Mm-hmm. I have done my reading. A lot of my clients are female. So obviously I understand different si- um, parts of the cycle and where we should be uh, focusing on. The first two weeks of your cycle are probably going to be the best part of your cycle. And so you're going to feel stronger. You're going to feel more energized. You're going to really be going well. These are the times you should probably be doubling down, mm-hmm. like, you know, aid from that benefit that you're going to be having, but then don't kill yourself on the back end for those next two weeks where you just wake up one day and whether you're in the gym and your lift is just halved because you just can't lift as much and you're feeling crabby and you're not really feeling mentally or physically dialed in. Um, The weight may have gone up on the scale and all these things that kind of can make you feel like, what I've been doing everything right, but now everything's gone to shit. What, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Understand that those cycles are happening and that's a natural part of life and this is, this is normal. You're not unique with that. And so pull back your training on those two weeks and understand that that's a good thing for you. So um, don't, don't beat yourself up um, throughout those um, cycles. And as I said, really double down when you are feeling good and if you're feeling energetic, then get in there and really kind of um, you know push yourself. But always be um, on form with your technique. Don't just go, cool, I did you know, a 50 kilo deadlift last week and I'm feeling amazing. I'll make that 90 kilos. No, progressively overload, not massively overload. So you know, add a, you know, maybe a kilo and a half or two kilos to the bar and see how you go. And then the next week, see how you go again and just kind of progressively push that up. But understand that those fluctuations are certainly going to happen over that 28 to 30 day cycle kind of thing for most people. Um, and so, yeah, just be very understanding of that and don't beat yourself up for it when you do have that inevitable kind of slump through your training and where the weight goes up and it can, for lack of a better, all turn to shit kind of thing. So, mm. Mm. And Chelsea, what I'd also recommend is actually tracking your cycle so that you understand what phase you're in. And as Adam said, when you start to feel a bit weaker or you start to feel like, oh man, I feel like I could lift double, I feel awesome, um, you're actually understanding what phase of your cycle you're in. We actually had an amazing expert on, Dr. Stacey Sims. This is her absolute key niche area. Um, so I'd recommend, Chelsea, that you go back and listen to the two podcasts we did with Dr. Stacey Sims because she's incredible and it was all around female hormones and training and, and how to maximize your training to your cycle as well. Absolutely. 
Awesome, Adam. Well, thank you so much for all of that gold that you've given us. We're going to bring Adam back for a second podcast and we've got another seven or eight questions to fire at him that you guys have requested. Um, But just before you go, Adam, um, can you please tell us a little bit where our listeners can find you on social media? Can they email you? Do you have a website? Absolutely. Um, So on on Instagram, I'm known as the No Breakfast Guy. Um, So if you just type in the No Breakfast Guy, it's where I post all of my stuff around fasting, fat loss, fitness, and kind of weight loss in general. Um, But if you want to kind of contact me via... Uh, as an exercise physiologist, you can always DM me um, over on there. I'm more than happy to answer your questions there. Um, but if you uh, email me at info at TrueXFiz, now that's spelled T-R-E-W-E-X-P-H-Y-S dot com. Um, I'm more than happy to answer any emails through there as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, again, thank you so much for your time. And we can't wait to bring you back for part two of the podcast. Thank you so much.